And so here we are, day after election day, and the new president of the United States of America is, dun, 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 dun. nobody knows. Oh, I know people say they know, but people don't actually know. I think uh, if you're going to ask me what I think is going to happen, I think Biden's going to win, but it ain't going to be by 10 points, which raises a whole lot of other questions, doesn't it? This whole we got to know today thing. If there's a couple of things we need to understand about this election, number one is there's nothing happening here that hasn't happened before. There's, there's nothing unusual here. And for most of our history, in fact, I would dare say it's only been in my lifetime, maybe a little longer, that we've gone to this we have to know right now thing. We've gone to this instant gratification thing. It wasn't that long ago, 1948, that newspapers printed headlines that were completely wrong because they got out ahead of the game. This whole long count is not unusual. Like I said, for most of our history, we went days, weeks, in some case months, without knowing who won the election. We we could know today if we really wanted to, but we don't really want to. And to that end, I think I think we've got about the best best system we can we can go with here. We've tried to update things. We've tried to use technology, but our Luddite society seems determined to avoid using anything that might actually improve things in a way that's meaningful. And so here we sit. And again, it's our history. It's not unusual. So I don't know why we're all that uptight about it. I really don't. But I know that's one of the lessons of this thing. There are a couple other lessons. Number one, the the polls were wrong. Yes, they were. Uh, Biden is not going to win by 10 points. And there is an explanation for this. There is an explanation for why the polls were wrong. And I finally figured it out. I had this conversation I said with Bill last week about, I don't understand, how did polls not learn anything from 2016? Um, I go back to the 2012 uh, gubernatorial election in California where some polls, well, let me rephrase that, one poll decided that Meg Whitman was within the margin of error of Jerry Brown, and I, I scoffed at it then. How could that possibly be? And, of course, it turned out to be a 10, 11-point landslide for Jerry Brown, and I wondered how this poll could have got it wrong, and it turned out that those pollsters <clears throat> were not using good methodology. And because we don't delve into the methodology when we hear a poll that we like, we, we, we never question it, and we should. We, pollsters need to be way more transparent with how they're gathering their data and how they're massaging that data but they're not, and they're not going to be because they've got to make money, and they make money by convincing politicians that doing it right, keep going. The the explanation for how the pollsters, once again, were completely wrong, Biden by 10, is is very simple. I I, I realized this about 2.30 in the morning. I just sort of popped awake and went, oh, I don't know how I didn't know that. Um, Number one, 
it's it's two two places. Number one, it's it's bad methodology, but it's the methodology that they're used to using. But number two, people are obviously, and I mean obviously, messing with pollsters, which is great. I I think that's fantastic. I think it's great. And in, in fact, I don't know why it didn't occur to me because the only time in my life I've ever been polled, I completely made up every answer that I was giving. I get stuff all the time. I still get stuff from California because, I don't know, they think I still live in California. I get emails all the time. Can you take our online survey? And, of course, it's always something about, I don't know, pick a topic. It's, it's always something that I don't care about. So I just make up answers. Would you, would you drive to the airport if it was in Stockton? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> they never bothered to ask, well, why wouldn't you? Because I live in Washington State. I, anyway, people are obviously messing with pollsters, which I personally think is great. Um, it wouldn't bother me if polls just went away and, and we didn't do any of that nonsense anymore. It's never going to happen. But you can clearly see the, useful, the uselessness of polls, which is what I've said for years. It's why I don't pay any attention to them. I don't, I don't care. They, they're not going to be accurate. They're not going to be Close, and especially as our society becomes more and more childish, I guess. I don't know. As we become more and more sarcastic and more and more unwilling to participate in these things, I think it's becoming more and more obvious that polls are going to be more and more wrong. So the polls were wrong, but so were all your friends and probably you. The Facebook and social media prognosticators who were guaranteeing just a couple of days ago what was going to happen. I saw one guy put up a thing that showed Trump winning by 313, I think it was, electoral votes. And I thought to myself, how in the world could you possibly think that? I mean, you know, it's, there's no way. It wasn't going to happen. Even if Trump wins... Again, I don't think he's going to, but even if he does, it ain't going to be by that much. And in, in, a, in a country where things are kind of divided, um, to, to, to predict a landslide of that nature was, was outrageous, but people were doing it all over Facebook. It's the Nostradamus effect. I mean, it really is. Uh, if enough people predict, if, if you predict enough things over time, you're bound to get one right. And believe me, that's the one that you'll focus on. 1998, I predicted the Super Bowl. So they've had, what, 50, coming up on 60 Super Bowls, and I got one right. So, and I don't mean, I don't mean the final game. I mean, I predicted who would be in the game and who would win before the season. 60, 60 Super Bowls, I got one right. The Nostradamus effect, you... you you write stuff and you make it vague enough that sooner or later you get one right. And these social media platforms are allowing people to do this left and right. Predict enough things, you're bound to get one right. But one of the things they found in social media posts is that they're almost all negative. They're almost all disparagement of the candidate that you don't like. In other words, there's very little, hey, here's candidate A, and this is what I really like about him. I've seen a few, but not very many. Most of them are about how the other candidate is, you know, the evil spawn of Satan, um, socialist or authoritarian or doesn't brush his teeth or her teeth or whatever. It's all negative stuff. Now, 
the truth is negative campaigning works, and that's part of the problem is that negative campaigning works. But shouldn't we be learning a lesson from that? I know it's hard. I know we want to. We all say we want to. But when push comes to shove, we really don't. The other guy's evil, and that's good enough. Are there any lessons that we can learn from this? Well, there are. <laughs> but I, I doubt we're actually going to learn any of them. We, we need to be looking at some things here about this election that I think we could take forward. Number one, tech is our friend. I, I realize that there's a, there's a fear of technology. There's a fear of things that we don't understand. But everybody's complaining today about, well, why does it take so long to count the votes? Well, because every time we suggest using technology to do it, what do we get? One side or the other, usually the side that's behind, decides that this is going to be, this is too easy to manipulate, this is too easy to hack, this is too easy to do, and so we never do it. Um, there isn't any real evidence of that. I mean, are there occasional blips? Of course, there are occasional blips and everything. <laughs> I love these people who say, there's never been any evidence of voter, voter fraud anywhere in this country. Yes, there has, but is it overwhelming? No. We seem to be able to deal with that. I don't know why we can't deal with technology. The second thing we've learned is that long voting isn't really dangerous. And I'm surprised by this lesson because for most of our history, this was the way we did it. It's only been in the 20th century, the mid-20th century, that we started this, you have to vote on election day thing. Um, I've been voting by mail for probably the last, I don't know, four election cycles, presidential election cycles, so 20 years. I didn't have any choice in it. I've talked about this on the air. I, I miss going to the polls. I miss that feeling of that civic duty. But at no point has it felt like my vote didn't count because I voted three days before. I mailed my ballot three days before. One of the best political arguments I ever got in was in, when was that, 1988? <laughs> yeah, 1988, I was a, officially a resident of Tacoma. I was living in Virginia Beach. I was in the military. I got my absentee ballot a few weeks before the, before the, before the election, and um, we had a thing on the ballot in Tacoma about fluoridation of water. So I just, being me, I just threw it out there on the floor of these fellow submariner instructors. Hey, what do you guys think about fluoridating the water in Tacoma? It was great. It literally was the best political argument I've ever been in. Fantastic. Long voting isn't dangerous, folks. It doesn't hurt. And in fact, if we really believe that we want more engagement, more people voting, it may be the best way to do that. It, it really will be. The, uh, the question has come up about an election day holiday. Should we make election day a holiday, give everybody the day off? Well, not unless you're going to go to one day voting. If you're going to go to one day voting, then it makes sense. But if you're not, then it doesn't really help anything. Just sort of, uh, just sort of gives employers a, a excuse to take some other holiday away. Ben was pretty upset. He came running in here yesterday morning. Hey, Dad, do I have to go to school today? You know, keeping in mind that he goes to school online. But yeah, you got to go to school. It's Tuesday. What do you? What's your problem? But it's election day, Dad. Yeah, but you don't get to vote, so go to school. 
He just sort of Charlie Browned it out of here. <laughs> Wait. The other lesson we need to learn is this question about instant gratification. Why are we so fixated on having to know right now? I must know right now. One of the most wonderful things I learned about the 1876 election, which was a tragic election, but the, the post-election nightly betting in the bars where Democrats and Republicans would gather, not rioting, by the way, but they would gather in the saloons, especially in California, and they would bet, you know, the latest returns would come in. And so candidate, this would move that far and this candidate would move that far. And, you know, and they would bet where it's going to go. need to have that right now. This whole idea of instant gratification when it comes to elections is our problem. That's, that's why we're so uptight, because we got to know right now. Whereas if we just relax a little bit, maybe we could have some fun with it. I know, not going to happen. The biggest lesson we got to learn and the biggest question we have to ask ourselves is very simply this. Is it worth the fight that's going to happen? Multiple times in our history where close elections were contested, fought, and eventually compromises were reached that allowed one candidate or the other to rise to the Oval Office. Those compromises were, well, they were, they were tragic, and they had far worse outcomes than would have happened if the compromise had never been made. What compromise are you willing to personally make on our national issues to put your candidate in the Oval Office? Is it really worth that? Is it, is it really worth the long-term damage that may be caused by that compromise to put your candidate in the office. I know it's hard to think because you can't see the future. You, you don't know what's going to happen. But there are some simple guidelines. Number one, if you're compromising your values and your beliefs to put your candidate in the Oval Office, then your values and beliefs don't really mean anything, do they? So there's the first one. If you're willing to compromise those values and beliefs, What's the, how do you get them back? What's the next step? Where's, where's the change? And so often, we, we don't answer those questions. I suspect that in this election, <clears throat> Joe Biden is going to get to the 270 here in the next couple of days, and, and that'll pretty much be the end of it. Except, of course, that we'll have more challenges and the likes of that. But is that really worth all the fight? Is it really worth it? I will tell you that many people, particularly those of us on the right, believe that Joe Biden is not long for the White House and that President Kamala Harris is coming. I have believed that myself. I'm not so sure anymore. And I'm not so sure it's worth the fight to keep her wherever. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. I've had some thoughts about the Biden laptop story. I really have. There's reasons why it's not sticking, why it's not going anywhere. We'll talk about some of that tomorrow and <clears throat> maybe get into some, maybe, maybe we'll actually know by tomorrow. I doubt it, but we might. Possible. But in the meantime, keep, keep that question foremost in your head. What are you personally willing to compromise on? 
that would put your candidate in the Oval Office. And if you make that compromise, what changes ultimately? How do you get how do you get whatever you compromised back? Because believe me, there have been elections in our history, 1876 is a great example, where that compromise well, we're still dealing with the with the effects of that today. Do you want your great-great-grandchildren dealing with the effects of your compromise today? Is it worth that? I don't think it is. Because let's face it, none of these candidates are George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. None of them none of them are even Millard Fillmore. So is it really worth all that? 